Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. Friday marks day 110 of the 2021 Idaho Legislative Session. It's already the third longest session in state history. So while it's historic in terms of length, is this also a legislative session that marks differences in politics and ideology and tone? To get a little bit of a historical perspective and a perspective on how this affects the politics of the moment, I interviewed Rod Grammer, the CEO of Idaho Business for Education and a longtime observer of Idaho politics. Rod, thank you for joining me this week. What I wanted to do is, as this legislative session continues to kind of lurch along, to maybe take a little step back and look at this legislature in a little bit more of a historical context. We both go back to the mid 80s or, you know, and I think about my first legislative session, you know, in 1986 and, you know, think about the politics that we saw then and the politics that we're seeing now. Well, Kevin, as you know, I, I covered my first session as a reporter in 1974, uh, covered 12 sessions as a reporter. And so I covered during the 70s, the 80s, uh, took a little hiatus to be executive news director at KTVB. And then I've been advocating for education for eight. So I, I've seen a big swath of, of legislative history, to say the least. And, and I have to say, this is different. This session has been um, different from any session that I've ever seen. And it's, it, we've actually been coming to this the last couple of sessions. Um, and so I'm not surprised, uh, although dismayed, I'm not surprised that that uh, this has uh, ventured off into a whole new political realm, uh, unprecedented in modern Idaho history as far as I'm concerned. And it's not a split as much about conservatism, because, again, I'll go back to the mid 80s and, and you, you'll go back further. I mean, the first House speaker I covered in 1986 was Tom Stivers. And when you think about his politics and you think about the politics that's prevailing in the House, Tom Stivers would have been very comfortable in this House of Representatives, could have, would have been very comfortable leading this House of Representatives. So it's not about conservatism per se. Well, the, as you know, the Idaho legislature has always been conservative, um, but it has always been uh, traditional, what I call traditional Republican conservative. Um, some degree of right of center, I would say. And there, in any given legislature, there were some that more conservative, like Tom Stivers, and less conservative, like uh, Bruce Newcomb or Mike Simpson or Tom Boyd uh, or William Lanting, the first speaker I knew in 1974. And they were, I would say, uh, uh, right of center uh, conservatives. But today, what we're seeing in the legislature is not conservative. Uh, what we're seeing today in the legislature is what I call radical. Uh, it's not libertarian. It's it's not it's not certainly not traditional conservative, but there's a huge element of what I would say radical, um, almost to the point of being. Um, some people might call it populist. I don't even call it populist, but it, it's a whole different breed of of politics than Idaho's uh, ever seen. And it is the last two or three election cycles, it's become more pronounced in the legislature. And, and I think it's peaking right now, um, uh, although it could actually uh, expand. 
So, you know, you've got a situation in the legislature where uh, the right of center uh, legislators are, are getting fewer and fewer. You know, the traditional, what I call, Phil Bat Republicans, <laughs> Bill Kempthorne, even Butch Otter, uh, and, and Brad Little Republicans. That, that element is getting smaller and smaller in the legislature. In the House, I should say. Right. Even the Senate's getting a boost out of this session. Right. And, and is it, I mean, to a large degree, it's a numbers game. There are just simply more ideologically hardline conservatives in the House than we've seen in the past years. And they seem to be a lot more organized and more you know, galvanized behind issues. And then the Idaho Freedom Foundation has been a factor in that. It's a numbers game to a larger degree, right? Uh, yes. And that's that's why you're seeing these really close votes in the House where, you know, you've got some some of the lingering right of center uh, uh, political leaders, people like Fred Wood, uh, uh, people like Mark Gibbs and, and maybe Rick Youngblood, not to put them on the spot. because sure. I really don't want to put a bullseye on them. <laughs> but you so and, and Scott Bedke, I would put kind of in that. Class. But what you're seeing steadily over the last two or three election cycles are more of the radicals being elected. So it's very, very close now. And without, frankly, without those meager 12 Democratic votes in the House, you you probably wouldn't see a Idaho public TV budget, for example. Yeah. Or you might not see a higher education budget, for example. So even though they, they are few, those 12 uh, uh, are, are pretty important. I remember back when, uh, in the mid-80s, you probably remember this, there was the Steelhead Caucus, yeah. where basically, um, you know, you had Tom Stivers and, and some of the ones that are were more conservative. Uh, and it was really the Steelhead Caucus. Mike Simpson was in that caucus. Tom Boyd was in that caucus. And it was the Steelhead Caucus, the, the sort of right-of-center Republicans and the Democrats that really made things happen, right? Mm -hmm. And it's still that way to a certain degree, although that that pendulum has swung so far to the right in the Republican Party, there are very few of those, you know, what I call traditional establishment Republicans in the House anymore. So it's getting tighter and tighter. One more election cycle, I think the radicals could actually take over the House of Representatives. And, and I think one of the differences, though, between the, the 80s and the Steelhead Caucus and what we're seeing now, the votes are a lot the same. I mean, you've got conservative, you know, more ideological House conservatives lined up more or less equally with, you know, center-right Republicans, moderate Republicans and Democrats. But what we saw in the 80s that I don't think we're seeing as much right now, there was more of a deliberate effort uh, with moderate Republicans or center-right Republicans and Democrats to to work together. I mean, now it kind of just works out that way in the votes. Yeah, right now, you know, uh, it's kind of that Dennis, Denny, uh, uh, what's his face? Pastor. Yeah. yeah. Where, you know, Republicans very rarely reach across the aisle uh, to Democrats. And, and uh, you know, this this bill that um, that uh, Brooke Green and uh, Don Cheney uh, uh, sponsored on, you know, intimidating people at their homes, that was a one of the very, very rare examples of, of a Democrat and Republican reaching across, you know, across the aisle. That used to be pretty common. I mean, look at look at Phil Bad and Cecil Andrus, right? right? Yeah. Uh, both of them served in that great 1965 legislature together. And, 
and, and Phil would work with Democrats and Cease would work with Republicans. In fact, some of Cease's closest friends, Dean Summers and people like that in, in the Senate and Phil Bat, I mean, were Republicans. Some of Cease's closest friends were Republicans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and Phil worked well with the Democrats. And, and you just don't see that anymore because uh, uh, of the radical element that has really taken over the Idaho Republican Party. If you look at the Republican Central Committees in Kootenai County or Bonneville County or maybe even Ada County, uh, you know, those, those don't resemble the traditional Republican uh, uh, parties that we've known in Idaho for decades, if not a century. So how did we get here? I mean... One of the obvious root causes that people point to is is the closed primary and how that's affected Republican nominees. But there are other factors. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the closed primary hasn't uh, hasn't helped uh, moderate our politics. Let's just face it. But we're also caught up now in national politics, mm -hmm. where politics have been nationalized in, this, in Idaho and other states, where it used to be important for a U.S. senator, for example, to serve their constituents, you know, help people with their Social Security checks, help them with whatever issues that they have. Now our politics have been nationalized. So uh, what's happening in Idaho on education, this attack on education, higher ed and, and K-12 education, this is not an organic thing that just sort of happened. Yeah. It is an intentional campaign to undermine the credibility uh, of public education. It's it carried it to its farthest extent. It's actually an effort to eliminate public education if, if they could do that. And that's part of a national effort. It's not just something that was a homegrown effort here in Idaho. So our politics are being nationalized here in Idaho. And unfortunately, the national politics um, are controlled by you know, the extremists. Um, and, and I think so, you're really seeing it. You really see it in this whole debate over critical race theory. I mean, you can draw a bright line between the debate over critical race theory and the, the talking points on critical race theory at the Idaho State House with what we're hearing on the national level, what we're hearing in other yeah. states. Yeah. And I think sure. that's part of your impasse here is that, you know, you're hearing those talking points at the Idaho State House and, and the other side is saying, well, where are examples in Idaho? You know, you know, bring it bring it home here and explain why we've got a problem here. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to so many superintendents around the state and they didn't even know, like me, I they didn't even know what critical race theory was. Everybody it's so funny because the, the people who've done this intentionally, and it is intentional, we can't make any mistake that they're trying to undermine public education in Idaho and higher education in Idaho. It's an intentional campaign, they basically have raised this issue that nobody in Idaho had ever heard of before. And superintendents have, everybody's raced to Google to search it out so they have some idea what it's about. And even then, there's no great definition of what it is. And which is one of the problems with House Bill 377 is there's no definition of it in there. So it could be anything, right? It, it, you could be a teacher and afraid to talk about enslaved people uh, or you could be a teacher and be afraid to talk about women not getting the, the vote until 1920. And, and, and so, you know, you don't know where that line is because there's no definition of it. So nobody had ever heard of this. And all the superintendents say, we don't even have time to, to teach this stuff, you know? So it, it's, a, it's a 
problem looking for a solution, if, if you will, or a solution looking for a problem, I should say. And But make no mistake, this is an intentional out-of-state, in-state effort to undermine public education. Uh, it's not... It's not rooted in the DNA of Idaho, that is for sure. And it's kind of put your members or a lot of your members in a situation where they're having to challenge or question or criticize uh, lawmakers of their party. I mean, you know, I know IBE does not ask its members, you know, what their political affiliation is, but as a practical matter, a good number of your members are Republicans or Republican-leaning, and they're having to sign open letters criticizing a Republican legislature. Yeah, and and the Republican governor is also doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it's the IBE, as, as you say, we never say what's your political affiliation. In fact, we don't want to know that. That's the last thing I'd ever ask somebody. And but, you know, just knowing our, our membership, I would say it's heavily, if not uh, overwhelmingly, Republican uh, leaning. And so, you know, our members, uh, you know, we are we were formed to strengthen education in Idaho and to create the workforce that we need in Idaho. And that's where we've been very consistent. Our message hasn't changed at all over the years. It's the it's the uh, radical Republicans growing in influence and power that are changing. I mean, we, up until about two, three sessions ago, we were talking about how can we work together? We had a great consensus on education and we were passing some great things that would strengthen education. And now it's not about strengthening education, it's about destroying education. And um, that puts us in a very difficult situation because it's really hard when people want to burn these institutions down to find common ground on on if we really want to strengthen things and improve the situation for our kids and their intention is not to make the situation better for our kids and and our students and they're you know they're not about building a stronger education system so we can uh, achieve uh, build the workforce that we need and get these young people great jobs that's not what they're about Mm-hmm. They're about burning it down. So as a lobbyist, your central premise is a little bit different. You, you can't, you go in having to kind of build that foundation of this is why education is important. This is why college and career readiness is important. This is why it's important to to the businesses you represent. You have to almost, you know, build that up from the ground level rather than accepting that as a common ground at the starting point of conversation. Yeah, right. I mean, there used to be a consensus in Idaho that education was was so important. And the debate was really about how much to spend, right? Uh, it wasn't so much about whether education was important and public education was not fun- foundational to our state and our republic. Now we're, now we're put in a position of trying to convince people that public education is really important and that we need it to build a prosperous Idaho economy and get our young people to have great jobs. That kind of consensus about the importance of education and the importance of helping our kids be successful and, and build the workforce that our employers need, there's no consensus on that anymore. And that's why you're, you see us going more public now, uh, whereas before we were 
building bridges. We are collaborating with legislators to bring the best out of uh, best out of the legislature, the best policies and investments that can strengthen public education. But that's not what the debate is about anymore. So we've we've stayed on message. It's just that the House in particular has moved so far to the radical right that that consensus around the importance of education has broken down. And now we're attacking, the House is attacking education at all levels. And that's because the people that are uh, uh, spreading this, this, these conspiracy theories want to abolish public education. Um, it's just that simple. And they've said so publicly. So. So they they want to they want to undermine the credibility of public education to weaken it instead of strengthen it. So there's a big philosophical difference there between what we want and what they want. And one thing we've seen over and over this session, and really not new, but maybe a little bit more pronounced even than in past sessions, is that difference between the House and the Senate. The House passing, you know, several education bills that were that were killed in the Senate Education Committee or, or killed on the Senate floor. I mean, that's, you know, we've seen it before. It just seems like we're seeing more of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Senate for the last few election uh, legislative sessions, they've been sort of like the goalkeeper in a hockey game, right? Every time the putt sort of is shot toward the goal, they they uh, they can deflect it. And, and, you know, the House, is, as you know, resents that because they keep sending things to the Senate crazy stuff, frankly, but they they kill it because it's not, it's, you know, it's so radical. Um, but even the Senate is starting to get a tinge of that, you know, because of the, uh, because of the uh, people who have been fostering this climate of radicalism. You talk, too, about consensus within education groups, within the education stakeholders group, there is still quite a bit of consensus. And one example that I wanted to ask you about is the Strong Students Grants Bill that you came out against, the other education groups came out against because of the component of allowing grant recipients to use the money for, for private school tuition. That was a bill that, another example, that was a bill that was killed very narrowly in the Senate. But there's still consensus within the education groups on a lot of these key issues. Yeah, the education groups, um, I think, still agree that we've got to invest in education, we've got to strengthen education, again, to set students up for success in school, work, and life, and and from our perspective, build the workforce that our employers need, because that's how we're going to get to a brighter future for Idaho, a more prosperous future for Idaho. Education is the key to that because through education, we can break the cycle of poverty. We can raise students up. They, they can get a great career here in the state of Idaho. And there's many paths to that. You know, we just started our apprenticeship program. So it doesn't have to be a four-year degree, although we need students with four-year degrees. It can be a two-year degree. We need students to have those, but we also need all students to go on to something where they can get the skills to qualify for a great career here in Idaho. That's what the discussion used to be about, right? <laughs> so, Kevin, think about this. We just went through the worst pandemic in 100 years. We know that because of that, the last year has been really tough on our teachers, really tough on our students. We know that students have lagged behind. So you would have thought that this legislature 
would have come in, rolled up its sleeves, and focused on the issues that are really important. For example, how can we help these students who slip behind catch up? That should be a laser focus on that so that these students do not continue, so the achievement gap doesn't widen, even good students slip back. That should have been a major focus here. The other thing is our students have gone through, and teachers have gone through what I'd say trauma this past year. So we should have had a focus on mental health of students and Mm -hmm. teachers, right? You guys at Idaho Ed News have been doing a tremendous uh, series on student mental health. Well, this legislature should have been focused on that. How can we help our students and teachers grapple with the trauma that they've just experienced? How can we... How can we uh, help these these uh, strengthen education? So what's happened instead? When the bill comes up to reward teachers for all they're doing and give them a raise, they shot it down. So what kind you know after all the hell that our teachers have gone through for the last year? What kind of message is that uh, to to them? So. Um, you see, you see what I'm saying, that we should have been focused on the things that really uh, uh, strengthen education and not this, this um, uh, radical culture war that we were involved in. So I guess the last question is, how do you, as one voice in this uh, dialogue, how do you, uh, how do you reset the, uh, the conversation? I think we have to keep talking about what's important, and that is, uh, you know, investing in education, strengthening education, giving our kids a chance to be successful uh, academically, uh, uh, continue to focus on them going to something in post-secondary to get a credential that qualify for a great job. Uh, so we have to continue to focus on the fundamentals and, and try to help the people of Idaho see that th- what the radicals are doing is a red herring. And that that they're they're making this stuff up as they go, and that you know teaching uh, is an honorable profession. The teachers are not brainwashing our kids; they're trying to help our kids be successful. We just have to keep on message, and then whenever we have to, really tackle this this extremism that that is starting to infect the uh, Idaho politics. Rod, thank you as always for your time and, and your insights. It was uh, it was good to talk about the the history and this session and try to put it all together. I appreciate your your time. Thank you, Kevin. It was great talking to you, and thanks a lot. Again, that was Rod Grammer, the CEO of Idaho Business for Education. Friday marks day one ten of the twenty twenty one Idaho legislative session. Another little bit of history: the longest legislative session in state history that took place in two thousand and three. It went one hundred and eighteen legislative days. I remember it from my former life at the Idaho Statesman. The final day of the session was a Saturday afternoon. It also happened to be Kentucky Derby Day. I recall a few members of the House watching the race from a lounge just off of uh, House Chambers. Now, this uh, Saturday is Kentucky Derby Day, so the 2021 session has already outlasted the Derby, so way to go, I guess. That's going to wrap it up for the podcast this week. Uh, we will be back at the State House all next week to watch what happens with the session. We don't know if it'll end next week, but we expect some, uh, some activity on the education budgets. 
K-12 teacher's budget, higher education, maybe the early education bill. We'll be watching all of that. Also, Education Writers Association, friend of Idaho Education News, hosting its annual national seminar next week. It's all virtual. Uh, We'll be uh, tuning in for pieces of that. Uh, Education Secretary Miguel Cardona is going to speak to education reporters on Monday morning, so look for coverage of that as well. Check back at IdahoEdNews.org all week for the latest news. Watch us on Twitter at IdahoEdNews for any bulletins. And check back here on Friday for another edition of the podcast. Until then, I'm Kevin Richard. Stay safe and have a good week.